a bad start with the counselor because in the first session she scolded the counselor uh, due to the fact that they had a fire drill or a fire alarm, yeah, drill, a fire drill. And um, Pastor Melissa, as we all know and love, um, is very particular about things, and she did not think they did the fire drill uh, the appropriate way, and she let them know. And I was like, Melissa, that's not the way to start off a, a new covenantal relationship. I'm telling you, they don't know what they're doing. Uh, and then a few sessions in, uh, we also know that good counselors, and what we're going to learn from Jesus, good counselors ask questions. So a lot of times we want to go in and we want to know uh, answers, uh, but what the counselor gives us in return, uh, they ask us questions. You know, the old Bob Newhart, uh, that's really old, that's, uh, but you know Bob Newhart, he used to always do the bit about how does that make you feel, right? Uh, so even I remember that. Uh, but yeah, a good counselor asks questions. And so, uh, but it wasn't long into this relationship that uh, Pastor Melissa started to turn that around and she was asking questions of the counselor and uh, counseling the counselor. And in her words, um, she intimidated the counselor. I think that you're all better now. And, uh, you don't need to come back. So uh, you can ask her about that next week uh, when she's with you. But anyway, Jesus asked over a hundred questions, over a hundred questions in the New Testament, or in the Gospels in our New Testament, over a hundred questions. And uh, he is a very effective teacher in that way, and certainly a counselor as well. And today's passage is a familiar passage, I think we've even worked on it together before, uh, where Jesus is in the boat with the disciples, and we're going to get a question here at the end of this passage. Why are you so afraid? And so Jesus, the counselor, could have looked at the disciples and said, don't be afraid because, and fill in the blank. Or, Jim, you are afraid because. Renee, this is what I see in your fear. And he could have named it, and he could have spelled it out. He could have looked all around the boat at all the disciples and named their fear. I'm confident of that. And he could have listed it out here in the passage for us today. Um, and maybe, and maybe not, we could have related to it. But what he does instead is he leaves this open-ended question, as a good counselor does. Why are you so afraid? What are you afraid of? And so what this does for the disciples is it gives them an opportunity for some self-reflection as they move forward. And then it gets a wonderful gift for you and I. The wonderful gift of being able to put ourselves into this story um, and to name any number of fears that are on our hearts today. Why are you so afraid? I mean, we could blur them out here. Amen? All right? And so it invites us into this story. And then we get to, and then we get to have a conversation with Jesus through this story. Why are you so afraid? One of the couple, or a couple of things that I'd like to think about as we go forward is, and, and one of the, the great preaching points or teaching points or things for us to take away from this passage is, uh, you know, if we add a second part of that, why are we so afraid? Why are we so afraid? Even though we know deep down that Jesus is always with us. Jesus was asleep, yeah, but he was with them. Now, the disciples, this could be a sermon for another day, the disciples 
probably should have taken a lesson from Jesus. And if they would have just calmed down, maybe if they would have taken a rest, maybe they would have just sat down during the storm, everything would have been okay to begin with, or to continue going forward. But running around the deck of the boat and being all crazy and historical probably didn't help, right? All right, and that would be an interesting thing, interesting road to go down. But why are you so afraid? Jesus is with us. Jesus is there in the boat. Why are you so afraid? You know, if you can claim that, you're a step towards conquering your fear. One of the things that uh, studies that we've read recently, and it's probably nothing new, but there was just a new study on it, that uh, folks, uh, senior citizens, uh, widows, anyone living alone, uh, you have an opportunity to live longer with one simple action. People that do this live longer lives. And that is having something in your house that is living. So not just a dog, but it can be even a cat. <laughs> a cat can make you live longer. Actually, cats have been proven to lower your blood pressure. Um, but anyway, a dog, a cat, a plant, Joe, <laughs> anything living, no matter how irritating they are, June, anything living in your house helps you to live longer. And if you have something living in your house, uh, it relieves stress and anxiety and, and gives you a new perspective on life. And so the number one takeaway from this story is that Jesus is living in our house. And so whatever the fear that's taking over us, it might not be a literal boat ride for us, uh, but there's all sorts of fear. Fear of the unknown in terms of the health of a loved one. You know, fear of you know, what comes next with our job. Fear of broken relationships. Fear of financial collapse. Fear of fill in the blank. Fear of what's going on next in our community or our state or our country or our world. Fear of lack of peace around the world. Fear of what am I going to see when I open the newspaper this morning or turn on the TV. All those are legitimate fears that you and I share. And if you imagine going to the counselor, going to Jesus, and saying, you know, I just read this in the paper, I'm so afraid. Tell me why I shouldn't be afraid. And then hearing Jesus answer back, why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? I'm with you. I'm living in your house. Why are you so afraid? Well, as we go forward with this passage, and it closes uh, with that last verse, 41, we can quickly uh, kind of skip that because we are so hung up on why are you afraid, but it's a very, very important part of the story, the transition. It says, overcome with all, they said to each other, who then is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. There seems to be a change here, a shift happening with the disciples. You know, before they were scolding the teacher. Teacher, don't you care that we're drowning? And they were had this great fear of the storm. And uh, now in this last closing verse of the passage, there's a transition. They're no longer fearful of the storm. They seem to have discovered a healthy fear of the Lord and all. A wow, an aha moment. Wow, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? 
And so through this storm and making it to the other side of the storm, the storm has come, there's been a change in the disciples. And so that's another thing that should relieve our fear in whatever it is that has us afraid this day. Number one, remembering that Jesus is living with us in our hearts. And then the second thing that should help relieve our fear, no matter what it is, is that on the other side of the storm that you're experiencing in life, um, if you can make it through remembering that Jesus is with you, you're going to be changed on the other side of it. You're going to have a new perspective, a new lease on life. And you're going to be a powerful witness to the presence of the Holy God and the Spirit of Jesus that lives in us. You're going to be changed. The disciples were changed. Fear of the storm to a healthy fear of the Lord. One of my great hobbies now is I, mean, I'm, I read whatever I can uh, on, on World War II. Um, and so it helps me to detach and to think about and learn things about history. And so I'm reading a book now, and I came across this great story. Um, you know, one of the first major offenses against the Japanese in World War II um, was uh, on Guadalcanal. And so at the um, Southeast Asian island uh, that was important uh, to protect because of uh, the shipping lanes to Australia and what Australia meant for, for the for winning of, of the war. And so it was the first time we went on the offenses, and it was a tremendous and, and, and terrible battle all in one. Uh, and, and lots and lots of lives were lost, and it was very, very difficult. And so we was, I was reading about this, this guy, Lieutenant Paul Moore, Jr. Uh, when he joined the Marines, he joined the Marines because he liked their uniform. Uh, and he didn't know much about the Marines other than that. He was a graduate of Yale, and at his training as a Marine, uh, in his first weeks, he was trying to clean his gun or put the gun together, however that works, and it hit him in the head and, and caused a great gash, and, and the sergeant that was training him says, you don't even look like, Marine, like a Marine. Uh, how are you ever going to become one? And so he got off to a really, really terrible uh, start. Fortunately for him, he could shoot. And then once they went out on the range, he was able to, uh, um, to fulfill his mission of being a commissioned officer. And so he became a lieutenant. And he led a, a, a group of Marines here on Guadalcanal. Uh, well, it's during this that he describes this great adventure, of this, again, terrible, terrible battle. Hey, just getting off the ship and climbing down the ropes into a, a, a wooden Higgins boat and trying to, to, to get into this boat in the rocky sea waters, and then crossing and trying to get onto the beach as you're getting shot at and bombed at, and then eventually getting onto the sand, and then once you're through all that, you had to get through the jungle. And he talks about all these different things, and being shot, and, and leading his men, and, and eventually, though, makes it to the Henderson Airfield, which was the objective, and they eventually take over the island, and, and the rest is history. What I like about Lieutenant Moore's story is it was through this storm at the end. You know, we hear a lot about foxhole confessions like, Lord, if you get me out of this mess, I'm going to do something great. Um, well, that's great, uh, but that's not how his story went. His story wasn't after the fact. So after he's through this storm, after he's through the battle, he reflects on it. He was like, it's a miracle that I survived this. It's unbelievable that storm that, uh, that battle that I just went through. I think God has saved me for something important. Uh, 
I got to do something with my life when I get out of here. And so he goes on, and he, whenever he gets back, he goes and sees the chaplain. He gives his life to the Lord and eventually becomes uh, an Episcopal priest. And in 1972, he becomes the Archbishop of New York as an Episcopal priest. So Lieutenant Moore uh, was changed through that body, changed through that storm. He wasn't the same person that he was the beginning of that storm to the end. And so it's another uh, way to look at these storms that we experience in life. Um, God forbid we ever have to go through something like him, but we all have storms. Do we remember that Jesus lived with us through it? And that when we make it out on the other side, we can have a changed perspective. And that we can do something meaningful with our lives, whatever it may be. So that's something, in a way, to address our fear. What are we so afraid of? What are we so afraid of? These storms are going to pop up any given day, any given strength, any given place. And we can let fear rip us and paralyze us, or we can claim Jesus along for the ride with us and have the hope that it's not the final answer. And in fact, when we get through this storm, we're going to be a better person. And so that's uh, my prayer for myself. That's my prayer for each and every one of you this day, especially those of us that are dealing with fear. As we talk to the great counselor about what we are so afraid of. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Another great way to deal with our fear is to come to the table of the Lord that fills us with strength and courage and grace and love. I invite you now to turn to page 12. 